I'd like you, if you would, to turn to Joshua 6, which is on page 154 in the Pew Bibles, but you can probably see that. And Glenn, could you turn the lights on for us? Thanks, sir. He was just reaching for him, even as I said that. Joshua chapter 6. This is a great story known to almost all of us, probably in the room. If you don't know this story, it's a great story. And we're going to read a few portions of this, and then I'm going to make some comments about it that I think, uh, at the end here, I think especially that you'll be blessed uh, by something I'm going to show you at the end. Joshua chapter 6, look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So you get the picture. They're going to march around the city. They're going to blow trumpets. They're going to do this for seven days. On the seventh day, they end up doing it seven times. Then they blow the trumpets and they give a mighty shout and the walls come tumbling down. Now look at verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests and blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Now look at verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord, he says. And then look at verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. What a story. This is a time in which God is acting doing something on behalf of his people. Now, it's interesting. There are some questions. And even as I read this, you may have asked some questions or had some questions go into your mind that come along with this story. Like, for example, if you're a person who doesn't believe in God, and I don't know if there's anyone here today like that, but there could be. If you're a person who doesn't believe in God, then you may try and get around the fact that God has actually worked a miracle here. And this is what the people do, or people do, I should say. Like, for example, it's a common theme to hear that God doesn't do miracles. It's as if he can't. Or maybe people would say, well, there is no God, and therefore there is no miracle. And so 
These walls came tumbling down. Let's imagine that it's true, that it's a fact that the walls came tumbling down. How is it the walls could fall down if there is no God? Now, my own perception is, is that if there is no God, the walls don't fall. But people come up with things to try and explain how these walls may have fallen even if there was no God. So, for example, I've actually, I've read this, that people have said that what happened was the armies of Israel marched around the city and as they marched, they stomped their feet. And as they stomped their feet and blew the trumpets, the reverberations in the ground from stomping on the ground and the loud sounds of the trumpet shook the foundations of the walls and the walls were prepared to come down so that when there was a final shout at the end, that loud noise, because we know that sound waves can be powerful, knocked those walls down. Now, I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that. That doesn't strike me as being a very good answer. And so this morning, as we're kind of traveling through on this journey through Israel, and as we approach the city of Jericho, there are some signs along the way that we're going to look at. And the first sign, kind of in response to this attempt to explain the walls coming down, is simply this. God is quite capable of doing amazing things in our world. So you're on the way to Jericho and there's this big billboard and it says God is quite capable of doing amazing things in our world. And so it shouldn't shock us when we get to Jericho and we find that we can blow some trumpets and make a loud voice or a loud sound and the walls come tumbling down because God is quite capable of doing just that kind of thing. And so I would ask the question, if there's a God, is he not capable of doing miracles? Like the, the answer is as simple as that. I don't have to try and justify the way that the walls might come tumbling down. If God is there and God can do miracles, and if he is alive and well, then he's capable of doing amazing things, things on the part of his people. And so that's the first sign that we see. God is quite capable of doing amazing things in our world. We are weak, but God is capable. The second sign comes up kind of in response to this question. What would have happened if the people had not combined belief with obedience? What would have happened if there had not been any belief and obedience in response to God's request? God says, I want you to march around the city. The people say, we're tired. Like we've been in the wilderness for 40 years. We had to cross the river. We're over here now. Can you give us a break? Can you just knock the walls down? Like, we really don't want to do this walking thing around. Like, we know and you know, God, that whether we walk around the walls or not, you don't need us to walk around the walls. And so we're tired here. We just as soon not do it. Well, my impression is that God really does want from his people obedience. And sometimes it's hard. Now, I've thought of this absurd, absolutely absurd way of remembering belief and obedience that needs to go along with the walls of Jericho. And that is that maybe it's hot. And maybe it's tiring and difficult, but God still needs obedience from his people. And in this case, the walking around of the walls. Now, Trenton, I have a question for you. Are you there? Okay. If you had to work hard and it was hot out, if you had to march around the city, maybe carrying a trumpet or carrying around the ark, and you're walking around and you're getting tired and it's wearying 
What are the kind of things that your body would do in response to the heat and the hard work that you're doing? You would sweat. Perfect answer. It's exactly right. I have another question for you. If you sweat a lot, you start to smell. Okay? And when you start to smell, we call that what? What would you call that, Trent? If I said to you, what do you call it when a person is sweated and now they're starting to smell? You would say they have what? You are right! The kid is a genius. Now, this is absurd. Okay? But did you notice that belief and obedience kind of goes with the notion of B.O.? Now, I'm not trying to be crude here. But that is a way. And now that I've said that, there is not a kid in the room who will ever forget that you have to have belief and obedience going around the city of Jericho. Right, Dawson? Dawson will always remember that. You have to have beliefs, belief and obedience when walking around the city of Jericho. And so that's kind of the second sign, but I'm not going to actually put up B.O. Okay, I'm just going to say belief and obedience are used by God. He combines his power with our belief and obedience to do great things. But you have to have belief and you have to have obedience. God wants to work through us. He wants to do wonderful things through the church, through his people. But when he's doing these wonderful things, he requires from his people belief and obedience. He needs something from us if these wonderful things are going to happen. Well, there's a third sign, and the third sign is simply this. We should still choose reverent obedience even when we don't understand. And I want you to notice what happens. Look at chapter 5, right at the end there in verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Because he doesn't know who this guy is. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, we don't normally read that along with the story of the fall of the walls of Jericho. But I think that's an important event that goes on here. God clearly has come on the scene, and he sends the commander of his army to do something significant at Jericho. But what is required on the part of Joshua, or what should be Joshua's response in relation to God suddenly appearing on the scene? He doesn't know who the guy is. He doesn't know what the guy's doing. At this point, God has told him nothing about what's going to happen. But what does Joshua do? He falls on his face. And he acknowledges God's presence. And isn't it the case that there are so many times in our lives when we don't get it? We don't know what's going on. We don't understand what God is doing. But God is doing something significant even when we don't get it. And it's at that point that a belief and obedience and reverence needs to be part of who we are. And so someone gets sick in our lives. And we don't understand what in the world is going on. How is it that this person whom I love is now sick? And the question that I get asked, that everybody asks more often than any other question is, why? What is going on? And if you've been around very long, 
you're going to know that the answers don't come easily. It'd be nice to say that when you ask the question, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to the one I love? It'd be great to think that God would simply say, well, here's the answer. Let me explain it to you. And then we'd be so satisfied to know that God had blessed us with this answer. But it doesn't happen that way. Most of the time, we walk away shaking our heads, wondering what in the world is going on. Or what is the world coming to when we hear of some atrocious, catastrophic event where innocent people end up being killed. And you say, what is the world coming to? What's going on? God, what are you doing? At that point, when we don't get it and we don't understand what God's doing, we just don't understand there needs to be, on our parts, reverent obedience. And so we should still choose reverent obedience, even when we don't understand what God is doing. Well, those are some road signs on our way to Jericho. Let me show you what happens when we get to the destination. Because we get to the destination... And there is an event that takes place that is an amazing event. Something that we can't begin to understand or explain. Except by God and his presence to do something in and among his people. And so we need, in response to what God is doing, to act on a great vision for what God can do on behalf of his people. God has in mind something wonderful here. And when I say here, I don't just mean there at Jericho, but I mean here. The people did not understand what was going on. They didn't know that they were going to be taking city after city. They didn't know that God's plan was for them to take this whole promised land, city by city, and for him to do amazing things throughout the course of that history. But when they started to catch on to the vision and to see it, It was time for them to act on this great vision that God had and that something that he was doing on behalf of his people. And sometimes I wonder if we're really not in the same position. That God wants to do something incredible and all we need is to capture his vision. All we need is to be willing to act in response to the vision that God has for his people. And so if God wants to do something great, can you see it? Can you understand what it is that God has in mind for us or for you in your personal life? And are you going to act on what God has in mind for you? Notice, look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. At first, it looks like that's what the vision is. You can't see what's going on here. And then verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And the question for the morning is, can we see? Can we see what God wants to do? Can we somehow adopt, accept, open our eyes and our hearts to a vision for what God wants to get accomplished among us? For what God wants to do through you and through me. And when we open ourselves up to that kind of vision, wonderful things can happen. Now let me show you how wonderful things can happen. Glenn, this is so cool. In fact, before you play it, 
Did you already hit play? Okay. Pepperdine University is associated with the Churches of Christ. Every year, probably for 25 years, uh, just about, I have gone down to Pepperdine for the Pepperdine lectures, and I'm on their campus for about a week. Several of you have gone to Pepperdine. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. But the wonderful thing is that God does things through Pepperdine. And what you're going to see here on the Ellen uh, DeGeneres show, there's there's a lot of things about Ellen's life I may not appreciate, but in this instance, she does something with a professor from Pepperdine, which is really cool. Glenn? Last season, we introduced you to our next guest who directed blockbusters like Liar Liar and Bruce Almighty. But after suffering a serious accident in 2007, he gave away most of his belongings and traded his lavish Hollywood lifestyle for a simpler life in a mobile home by the ocean. Since then, he's been directing and producing documentaries about finding true happiness. He's back today to share something that he's doing that's really inspiring. Please welcome my friend, Tom Shadiak. Guys, he's a professor at Pepperdine. Does he look like a Californian or what? Uh, one of the best uh, guys I know. Uh, you really are a good, good it. human being. Wow, thank you. See you. I, okay. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Happy to call wow. you my friend. Thank you okay, so, so much. Okay, uh, so let's talk about this class you're teaching at Pepperdine, which, which I wish everybody could take a class from you everywhere. Yeah, well, it started as a screenwriting class, and I noticed the kids were stressed out, um, and I started talking about life, and it turned into a class that I now call Storytelling and Life. So essentially the class is I show them movies and we talk about life. I serve them pizza, I give them free bikes, Everybody journals, take I wanted to give them hiking like shoes, but I haven't gotten to that yet. And the bikes are to remind kids to play, uh, that when the world is telling you to get serious with your life, I want to remind them to be serious about play and to be joyful and engage in life. And the journals are to reflect in the hiking shoes where to get back to nature. So. My class started with That's about 20 kids, and I have 400 have now. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and, and this, this semester, or next semester, based on what I learned today, I'm giving free stress balls. So, uh, <laughs> so they'll all, right before... Uh. Right before finals. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> it is the theme of the show, the yes, stress balls. <laughs> little did we know. All right, so uh, the one thing that you do, you out of your own pocket, you buy bikes for kids, which I love. It's, and I've said this for so long. People need yeah. to remember to play. We stop playing when yeah. we become adults, and I think that's a great message to say, keep playing, yeah. keep riding bikes. Um, and the only thing you ask of them when you give them bikes is to pay it forward. Well, yeah, play it forward, so interestingly. They, buy bicycles started, for all his students. Um, in his class. To come to me and say, well, you've been so generous to us, we would like to return this. And so it was really their idea, and they started giving bikes to um, challenged youth in the inner city. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the students receive yeah. the bikes, mm-hmm. and then they surprise some kids over at Foster hey, Elementary Glenn, in Compton and uh, take a look at this. Hmm. Everybody feet together. Feet together. Arms down. Arms down. Okay, what's happening is that they're now going to Compton, California, which is in south-central L.A. Like, you've heard of Watts, which is a major ghetto in Los Angeles. Compton is just on the north edge of Watts. 
or maybe South Edge, I can't remember. I, Robin and I, when we lived in L.A. in the 80s, uh, there was one time I had to go and preach at a church in Watts. And it, it's just a very impoverished ghetto area of L.A. And when people think of Watts, they think of crime and gangs and destruction and poverty and all those things that would go along with a major ghetto within a city. And Compton has become kind of the major uh, ghetto area of South Central Los Angeles. And so th- this school is in Compton, uh, well, you'll see the rest of it. Go ahead. This is the I heard principal. about Foster from meeting the principal, Jackie Sanderlin. I met Jackie at a charity event. Right away, we connected. I saw this yesterday. This is yeah. Peace Highway. Absolutely. And she has such a deep, rich soul that it just drew me in. Tom came and he met with students. He was talking to teachers. We met in the library and I had a conversation with these 200 points of light. This feels like playful and open and expansive. And it's because of the spirit that Jackie and the other teachers bring here to draw out the play and the joy and the curiosity of these kids. 100% of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Not having both parents in the household, being raised by grandparents, sometimes even having parents who are on drugs, incarcerated, oftentimes affect them and what they think of themselves. When you say Compton, people have a certain perception. It was my personal mission to change that perception. And so at Foster, it was about building culture. And part of our culture was changing, calling the kids kids and calling them scholars. And right away, it made a change throughout the school. It was changing what they thought about themselves. The lesson of giving, of altruism, of kindness, of cooperation, Those are the things I think that will serve someone no matter what job they do. I started giving bikes away to my students to remind them to play. After a few years, they felt it was so great to receive something, they wanted to give something. None of our children have any idea that bikes are going to come this year. They actually think we're going to talk about the bus program. Okay, scholars, we have to make sure that we are safe on the bus, and that we treat the bus driver with, with the R words. Hi, you guys. Look at all these bus experts I brought. Okay, so what we do in the movie business is we fool people. And I have a confession, we fooled you here today. My students heard about you, and they heard that you were scholars, and the fact that you are scholars inspired them. And they wanted to come down because you inspired them and give you a gift. One, two, three, and buses! We love you, go get your bikes. Is that cool? I have three brothers and I'm the first one to get a bicycle. I know that my daughter is extremely grateful and appreciative for the bike she received. I know she's going to ride it and get the joy out of the month of December. Thank you guys. This is simply a love exchange. Our love happens to have two wheels on it. I want to tell you something. 
you're a miracle worker. I love you, dear. Alan, we want to let you know that your example of generosity is spreading. So uh, we feel it, and we hope you now can share it with the rest of the country and even the world. We appreciate you. Thanks. What a neat story. And it, and it happens because somebody had a vision for what could be done with inner city kids in LA. Let's go give them some bicycles and let's promote the notion of loving these kids. Now it happens that this fellow, what he has besides vision more than anything else, he, he does have some money. And so he can afford to buy all those bicycles. He's a major Hollywood director and so he's got lots of money at his disposal. But you think about the the money that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has at its disposal and the power that's available to us through the Lord. What can we get accomplished with a little bit of vision and a little bit of belief and a little bit of obedience? God can do wonderful things through us, turning some lives around perhaps if we focus on those needs around us and are willing to give ourselves to those things. I just praise the Lord uh, that he does things like he knocks down walls. And there's just no reason why God can't knock down walls today and do something in our world that's amazing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the example of the students at Pepperdine and them giving the bicycles and their professor who can buy bicycles and all those things, God, that you have blessed people with. You've given them vision. Uh, you've given them love for others, the desire to work hard. You've given them belief and obedience. And God, they have that and they respond to you. And because of that, you do amazing things. And Father, we praise you and thank you that you're still knocking down walls today. Father, we see walls in our world. And we pray that you would come and that you would knock them down. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.